When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You could have the best product, right? A tremendous operation, right? You could have the perfect strategy, the perfect marketing and brand. But if you don't have a workforce that is growing and developing over time, that I think is going to be a big problem for you, right? Because there's going to be times, right? Whether it be COVID or other types of situations where your workforce is going to have to adapt, right? And learning and development is one of those opportunities to upskill your employees. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to today's episode. I have a fantastic guest for you today. His name is Neil Count, and he's the president and CEO of the National Society of Leadership and Success, the NSLS, which is the largest accredited leadership honor society in the United States. And so we're thrilled to have Neil with us today on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Neil, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, David. I really, uh, really appreciate the invite and thrilled to be here. Well, and I love the work that you're doing and uh, so many, the difference that you're making in so many students' lives and helping prepare them to, you know, to be the people of influence that they can be in the world. And we're going to get into all of the work that, that you and your organization do and, and some of your background and insights and, and all of that. But before we do any of that, Neil, I'd like to invite you to take us back as early as you can to your <laughs> first memory of yourself as a leader. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think when you think about leadership, right, you think about maybe the first time you're like managing a team or early on in your career, I have to go a little bit further back because I was really trying to think about like, okay, when was I, when was that first real leadership experience? And it, to me, it was actually, it was in high school. Um, and so in high school, I, you know, I, I played tennis. I wasn't the greatest tennis player in the world, but I was good enough. And uh, I was good enough to start teaching tennis, right? So I actually taught tennis at a summer camp um, uh, to middle school students. And so I was like 16 years old and I, I really didn't know any better. And so this was kind of like my first real taste of like power. Um, so <laughs> the, the great power, grandiose power of being a summer camp middle school tennis instructor. I love it. I know, I know. And so uh, it, it was, so, you know, I, I got to the courts, right? I remember my first time and I just, I went there and I don't know what came, I don't know what movie I saw or something like that. I was so hard on these kids. You wouldn't believe it, right? <laughs> I mean, and I had some kids from our neighborhood who were in the class too. And I'm like, okay, these kids are going to be the ones to make sure that, you know, they know I'm not being too hard. And by the end of the first class, these kids from my own neighborhood were crying in the middle of the class, oh, right? No. I'm like, I'm like, what, how, I didn't even think I was like being that hard on them, but clearly I, cause I was doing like, you know, you got to run laps and this stuff, if you miss the ball. And this is the first time these kids have touched a racket. So it was really from that moment on where I said, okay, I'm clearly not doing something right. And so I felt so bad that day because these are kids from my neighborhood. I think I remember like one of their parents called my parents was like, Hey, what is Neil doing out on these tennis courts? So I had to take some immediate self-reflection and from there, I, I just kind of like really slipped into more of kind of 
just getting to know the students, right? And so getting to know them, get to know their names, what are the cartoons they like? What superheroes do they like? Those kinds of things. And we just had a lot more fun on the court. And, and, and by virtue of that, they performed way better, right? They learned kind of the basic strokes, the basic ground strokes. They're having a lot more fun. Um, and, you know, by the end of it, the parents were so thrilled every year, kind of my specific class was oversubscribed. So it just kind of taught me really early on that, listen, to be a leader, you know, you don't have to just kind of focus on this command and control leadership, right? I think even servant leadership is something that's been around for quite some time and can happen as early on as your first time teaching middle school students, right? So like, you know, for me, that's, that was something that I thought, okay, yeah, that was kind of my first inflection point for leadership, I would say. I love that story so much. There's so many, so much good in there. And, you know, and I think, you know, and it's obviously it's, we can look back and you can laugh now. I don't know if those kids are laughing, but, <laughs> right, right. uh, and apologies to any of the traumatized t tennis students out there, but yeah, exactly. the, the, the reality of, Hey, you went out with good intentions. I mean, even though you made kids cry, like you still wanted to do a good job. Yeah. Your, your heart was in, like you said, who knows what movie I saw, but you were trying to yeah. produce some good results, all the energy going about it the wrong way, but you had to take that step in order to learn the other elements that then came next. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think though, I think what I would say experience is what I see with so many first time leaders, right. Is they're not exactly sure what to do. Right. So kind of the default is, well, I got to lead them. Right. So to lead them, I need to direct them. I need to control. And that's just, it takes some time to understand that that's not really what leadership is, right? And so, you know, eventually I think you you start to figure it out, but normally it is a process of trial and error. I have seen that. Well, uh, there's definitely that learning curve. And I know everybody listening to this show today and listening to you right now, Neil, is here because they want to shorten that learning curve for themselves. So, and, you know, related to what you, and you've talked about this already a couple of different ways, but I am curious when you think of, the idea of human-centered leadership or leadership yeah. without losing your soul. Um, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. So, you know, to me, I guess like what always comes natural to me is leadership in service to others, right? And so also, you know, I guess that's known as servant leadership, right? And I would say maybe it's synonymous with leadership without losing your soul, but I, I just, you know, like I mentioned before, I really believe command and control leadership is just a thing of the past. You know, our job as leaders isn't to be the smartest person in the room, right? Like our job is so much simpler and candidly more enjoyable, right? Today and tomorrow's workforce is just a super informed workforce, right? Um, they've got their own opinions, they've got their own goals. And I'd say they might even be a little bit more self-aware and, and it's our job as leaders to help them become the best version of themselves. I mean, it's, it's, it's that simple. Um, and to understand not only what motivates them in terms of like external benefits, like, you know, comp and benefits and those types of things and title, you have to kind of, I think you have to dig a little deeper to truly understand what inspires them. And when you understand them, you're really able to show that you have their best interests in mind. And in so doing, I think you can lead them better towards your organization's goals. So that's, that's really what that means for me, if that, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And it uh, definitely, I resonate with what you were saying. I know that when I transitioned out of my uh, career after 17 years in human service leadership, one of the reasons I did that was exactly a phrase that you just used. I was looking at 17 years of my own 
personal reflections and in terms of performance eva evaluations, things like that, you know, you start reevaluating yourself and what yeah. do you most enjoy about your work. And for 17 years, I had written some version of what you just said, that my favorite thing was helping people become the best version of themselves. I love it. And that's why I, I started the business I did, uh, mm -hmm. doing the leadership and management development work that mm -hmm. eventually has become, you know, let's grow leaders and, and courageous cultures and all the, the work that we do. But it's exactly that and how fulfilling that is uh, as a leader. I'm, I'm curious if you have any moments in your career that stand out for you in terms of either leaders who have done that for you or maybe somebody who was on your team and you saw a way that they flourished and that that was meaningful for you on the other way. Either one of those, I'm curious if you had any experiences that you come to mind for you. In terms of being a human-centered leader? And, or helping somebody become the best version of themselves. Did you have a uh, leader who did that for you? Or maybe you didn't and it caused a hunger. You know what? I am going to do this for other people. I, you know, people come yeah. at that in different, different ways. Uh, it's a really good question. And, and there was one that I, I had a manager who really specifically did this. And I think it was kind of virtue of the, the industry they were in. So, um, you know, my first, you know, so I graduated, you know, from University of Michigan um, and I, I graduated during one of the worst times in the job market, which was the dot-com boom or burst, right? So not the boom during the burst, <laughs> not the, yeah. right? And so, you know, I, I had some job offers. They all got, you know, they were, they were, uh, they ended up just kind of uh, going away because those companies ended up not hiring. And so, you know, I had to take a job. My first job out of college was um, uh, financial sales, right? So I had to become a broker. And so um, it was a really, really difficult job. It was one of those roles where, you know, I had to make 400 cold calls a day, right? I would make, I would get up in the morning, 8 a.m., go to the office, you have a phone book and you basically make calls all day. And your goal out of 400 cold calls is to basically get in touch with maybe 30 to 40 people. And from there, hopefully schedule two appointments. And from mm -hmm. there, hopefully one comes in, right? Wow. And then you close 30% of them. If you stick to those numbers, right? Law of large numbers, you could actually be pretty successful, right? And so I have all the respect in the world for people, uh, for financial advisors and stockbrokers. I mean, that is tough, tough work. Um, but nevertheless, there was a manager there and he was my first manager. Um, and he really, really took the time to not only get to know me um, and what made me tick, he did this for every single team member. And this is a type of role that would have unbelievable turnover, right? Like imagine you're just graduating from college, you gotta make, you gotta work these types of hours and you gotta work on weekends. He really took that time to just get to know who you are, what your goals were, what motivated you. And that made me so incredibly loyal that I was actually more working there for him than I was for myself. Like I, I was more thinking about, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm making Dave proud, right? Like that was something that was more important to me. Um, not you, David, but this, <laughs> but Dave <laughs> proud, right? And his, funny enough, his name was uh, Dave. And so, so it was just interesting how it completely flipped for me. And that's something I've always thought about since then, right? As I'm thinking about folks um, that I lead and that I manage, am I taking that same approach with them to take the time to get to know them, understand what motivates them, inspires them, and continue to coach them along the way? It makes such an unbelievable difference. And especially in today's workforce with the great resignation going on, it's something every manager's got to do. Every single one of us. Uh, and I love that story. And just, you know, so many of us have those stories of that person who did that. And now, gosh, you know, who got to know us, who inspired us, who, who 
saw something in us who equipped us all those different things and if we don't have that and i know some people don't yeah. uh you know every once in a while i have a guest or you know i've had those experiences in my life too where it's like gosh yeah that wasn't happening but we can use mm -hmm. that as fuel as well to say and i'm going to be the one to make sure that that does so neil as you you're, you're doing this work with nsls let's just stop yeah. here and tell us what is nsls what's sure. the work you do who do you help how do you do it yeah, so uh, the NSLS stands for the National Society uh, for Leadership and Success. And so our focus really at the NSLS is to build tomorrow's leaders, okay? So that's specifically what we do is that we actually work with over 750 universities in the United States. We have 1.5 million members nationwide and we, we work with about 200,000 or so new students every single year. Um, we're also about to bring our programs internationally, specifically into Latin America. Um, and we're also starting to work with companies. And so, you know, our focus is really uh, is really helping tomorrow's leaders build the skill set that can not only, you know, support their own goals, but also drive community impact, right? And that's really where we see the opportunity for leadership going forward. Is that um, leadership really is that opportunity for you know for civilization to continue to make that positive impact? I mean, that's to me that's that's really the overarching goal, but we also need to be a little bit practical too. And what we've understood too, is that if you think about employers today, there's a massive change coming, you know, with boomers retiring, right? We all know about it. It's actually happening now. It's happening now, right? So baby boomers are starting to retire. Even some Gen Xers are retiring. Millennials are moving into those management seats at a higher level. And so companies and HR executives are really thinking about the future of their workforce, right? What is Gen Z? Who are they? Are, are they going to be able to be these next leaders because they're the first really true digital generation? Um, and so what we see is that we see an opportunity because we work with so many students across the country who are going to be those next leaders to really help shape and define what leadership could be for this next generation of leaders. And so mm. to me, that is not really, and I say this all the time, it's it's not really an opportunity, it's a responsibility that we have. And so at the NSLS, we are super, super focused on providing the highest quality program that we can. And so that's why all of our leadership programs are actually accredited. Um, so students can take our programs, account for credit in college. Um, and the other part too, is that we really believe in making it radically accessible, right? So our programs are incredibly cost-effective for students to take. Now you have to be invited to it, but once you're invited, it's radically accessible and it gives you every opportunity. And I think part of that and the reason for that, and I know you haven't totally asked this, but you know, to me, I guess when it comes to um, when it comes to education, I think right now the democratization of education is really, really important, right? As someone who like grew up in like an in, in, in an immigrant family, new to this country. Um, I knew how important like leadership could be in assimilating and succeeding in this country. And what I've appreciated at the NSLS is that, you know, we're really focused on making leadership radically accessible, right? Like that's our focus. Like you shouldn't have to go to an Ivy League school to learn leadership. It's a right and opportunity for every student. And our, and our approach is really giving students that access to world-class leadership. Uh, there's so many things you said there that are important. Uh, so my own background, uh, in my career was, uh, you know, doing leadership development work with uh, students who typically were underserved or overlooked by all the traditional pro programs and approaches. And that's where I got my start. And, uh, it, you know, just the, 
the beauty of what people are capable of when yeah. you give them a chance and see and see that potential all the things that you said earlier that that good leaders do for other for human beings i'm curious about something you said that mm-hmm. that that struck me you said it's not an opportunity it's a responsibility do, do i have that right yeah absolutely okay so let's unpack that a little bit because yeah. i think that there's a principle there that is true obviously for you as a leader uh, in this organization that's doing this work and, and helping prepare so many students and young people for the opportunities that they'll have and the difference that they can make in the world, both in their community, at work, in their lives, all of the different areas. And so you've got, you see that as not just an opportunity or responsibility. What is that? I think that there's a parallel that's it's coming to mind for all of us. Listen, everybody listening right now, we have not just an opportunity, but a responsibility to be doing that level of investment in the people around us, whether they're our team members, there are young people in our lives, whoever that might be. So when you see opportunity versus responsibility, just let's unpack that a little bit more. What does that mean for you? So I look at it, I would look at it a little in a broader context in that I think right now, I'm thinking about Gen Z, right? I'm, I'm thinking about Gen Z and what they're concerned about, right? Gen Z as a specific workforce or a future workforce, um, they are a little bit unique in that, you know, they grew up, they're basically kind of coming into the workforce during this entire pandemic and, and time of uh, challenges with social and racial equality and a number of things related to this, right? I mean, this is kind of what they're growing up with. And couple that with the fact that they've had access to information way faster than any other generation in the past because of the internet and social media and other things, mm-hmm. right? So you take those things together and my belief, and I would say it, you could see this across the board, is that the word leader to them and who, what, what, what represents leadership to them today, I think is something that's not resonating with them, right? And so I think I look at that and I say, then what does leadership mean to them? And how can we help them define that? I think, and what we're seeing quite, a, I think what we're seeing with our students is that to them, leadership isn't the ability to be the loudest person in the room and then just, um, you know, just influence others to get to a goal. Like that to me, I, I don't think that's what they're thinking about with leadership. I think what they're thinking about with leadership is how do I leverage my own personal skills and strengths to make a positive impact in the world? I really believe that Gen Z is is focusing a bit at a higher level. Um, you know, I think because they've been they've had access to this information earlier. I think they have, I would say, more developed thoughts and opinions about what's going on in the world than previous generations. Mm-hmm. And this is why they are so much more vocal. And and they're making they're impacting large companies. They're impacting large organizations, whether it be you know Netflix or Coca Cola or any of these other ones. They the leaders at these companies have seen that Gen Z is a force to be reckoned with. So I look at that and I say at the NSLS, how do we prepare them with the skills that they need to take those leadership skills and be productive and make that positive impact? In the world? Well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit more because as you're, as you're talking, I know I was just, uh, I was both talking with a, a client recently, their senior management team. And then I was on another, I was a guest on a, on a podcast and, the, the question came up similarly from leaders who are having, you know, members of, of Gen Z entering their workforce yeah. and exactly what you're talking about, the, the level of awareness of desired impact and not always 
the 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 seeing the route to influence the same way. And so I'm curious, as as you're doing this work with with this cohort, this generation, as people are entering the workforce, do you have any particular suggestions for leaders, managers who are listening right now, saying, "Yeah, I've got." I've got these folks coming in and, and there's so many different strengths, talents, abilities they're bringing. And I'm also challenged a little bit and I need to know what should I be aware of? What should I be doing? Any particular strategies, approaches, what's going to be most effective in helping these newer entrants to the workforce develop and, and totally maximize all that leadership potential that you're talking about? So I'm going to, have you seen the movie Office Space? I have uh, from back in the day. And oh, I remember yeah. there was there was this part where they were like, "Oh, I can't believe we have to work in a place and hear leaders drone on about mission statements." Right? Like that's one of the famous lines from the movie. I would say that is the exact opposite from what Gen Z cares about. Right? Gen Z is so aware of core values and mission statements that as a company, you better be on top of that. Right? Like whatever your core values are, they're reading that because that's what they care about, right? Because right now, when it comes to working remotely, they have so many options, right? It's why like, you know, before we all had to kind of just look in the 20, 30 mile radius that we live in and, and maybe find a job. Well, that's not the case anymore, right? You can work from anywhere. You have a skill set that travels anywhere. So as a result, as a company, these, these potential employees have tons of options, right? So what they're looking at is not only the comp and then, because certainly that's for the most part standardized, so now they're diving deeper, much deeper to say, okay, I want to know the culture of that workforce, right? What are the core values of that leadership team? If I look at Glassdoor, are they actually exhibiting and living those core values, right? That mission statement to make the world a better place, whatever it is, if it's one of those companies that says that and they're not doing it, you're not going to attract the, the types of, the, the type of talent that could be transformational for your company. It's not just the words on the wall. It's the actual lived reality of, of those values. Absolutely. Which is hard to do in this work-life fusion, by the way, right? Like it's not the easiest thing to build a culture, but you got to stay focused on it. Right. And, and, and Gen Z is, is really, really concerned with that. A healthy advice for every leader and much less as you're looking at Gen Z folks, but absolutely that your values are meaningful. Uh, informative of the DNA of your culture and that you're actually living them out. Absolutely. What that looks like. So, you know, you have, um, Neil, you, you bring a background in business of helping organizations that have grown and scaled and you're now doing that. I know that, uh, as you were saying that, um, uh, you know, that you're getting ready to expand that NSLS is growing and expanding into to other countries. And, and I know we have a number of people listening to the show who are in organizations that are growing and scaling and the leadership challenges and management challenges that come with that, with, with rapid growth, uh, are, are not small. There's, they're mm -hmm. significant. I'm curious from your experience, if you have, you know, any particular, um, either advice or, or common mistakes that you have seen in the past from a leadership management perspective for organizations that are growing or scaling or advice that, that you would give our listeners who are in those situations? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think mistakes are, you know, something I have majored in pretty well. Um, but, you know, I think I always tell my team, as long as I'm right, 51% of the time, we're, we're mostly okay. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, to me, when it comes to growth and scale, right, I think that there's a few things that, um, 
are, are somewhat misconceptions that I think I, I've seen a lot of companies make, especially when it comes to like leadership, right? So one term I hear a lot is that, hey, sales solve everything, right? Like when it comes to growth, sales solves everything. Don't even worry about it, just go for growth, right? Um, I think that is a big, big mistake, right? And, you know, for example, right? There is such a good thing as good profits versus bad profits, right? Sure. Um, and this normally happens when leaders haven't really set those core values, right? And are emphasizing growth for the organization, right? Growth, 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 right? Well, that's when folks who aren't really too sure what those core values are, they're going to go ahead and find growth. I mean, that's for sure, right? And sure. But it could be things like penalties and fees for their customers versus, you know, focusing on growing the organization by offering programs that actually enrich lives, right? Like, I think that's something I see a little bit too often is, um, is, is not thinking about how can we enrich our customers with positive experiences, right? Like, what can we be doing um, that's going to really kind of enrich their lives? And I think that's something that I see as a mistake quite often is that just focus on the good, pro uh, focus on the bad, on growth by any means versus looking at good profits versus bad profits. So that's one thing. So sales doesn't actually solve everything. Um, number two is definitely de-emphasizing employee development. Um, I think just as companies go through different you know, timelines in their PL and their budgets, learning and development is often the first line light item off the budget uh, to get crossed off. And that's a big, big mistake. Um, you know, what I would say is that when it comes to growth and it comes to your strategy, you could have the best, you could have uh, the best uh, uh, product, right? A, a tremendous operation, right? You could have the perfect strategy, the perfect marketing and brand. But if you don't have a workforce that is growing and developing over time, that I think is going to be a big problem for you, right? Because there's going to be times, right, whether it be COVID or other types of situations where your workforce is going to have to adapt, right? And learning and development is one of those opportunities to upskill your employees. And constant development on folks will not only make them more adept when it comes to those challenging times, but it's also a great way to not only retain, but attract that talent. Like, it, it, and right now it is so competitive for that talent. So de-emphasizing employee development is an issue. So I would, I would definitely say em emphasize employee development. Um, and the last one I would say that, you know, when it comes to growth in an organization um, that I've seen is, is, is an opportunity is building more of a culture built around feedback. Right. I think mm -hmm. what's happening right now is that it doesn't matter if you're an experienced sales rep or a CEO, we all have the opportunity to develop and improve. Right. I mean, the old saying goes that Tiger Woods has a coach. Right. After any type of sales meeting with our biz dev folks, I mean, they'll tell you I'm always asking for feedback and I don't want the good stuff. Right. Tell me what I can actually work on. And I think focusing on this demonstrates to my team that they should be doing the same, right? And they should be doing it. And it starts to waterfall down across the organization that, listen, this is a place that's focused on curiosity and development, right? And, and that's really something we need to foster across the board. So, so that's something overall that has helped for growth. So, you know, just to kind of summarize, right? Sales doesn't actually solve everything. De-emphasizing employee development, emphasize employee development and build a culture based on feedback, right? I think if those are the three things regardless of your growth strategy, if you put that into kind of the root of your organization, it, it, it'll serve you much better. Oh, that's fantastic. That was rich. So much in there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, the fantastic. So number one, growth for its own sake is, is not the answer. So uh, more money is nice, but you got to have the values. You got to have the criteria. You got to have the means by which you're doing it. And, and your suggestion, of course, and 
from a human-centered leadership perspective, make it about the value that you're actually adding to your customer, to yeah. your end user, to whoever that is. Okay. We'll say yes, rubber stamp it straightforward for now. Second, continue to emphasize employee development. And yes. you know, as you're listening right now and you're hearing Neil talk, maybe you're the CEO or, or in a senior enough position that you can say absolutely yes, no, this is in the budget, it's not going anywhere. But if you're in a, a role that's different than that, I still hope you'll take Neil's principle to heart here is that you have a leadership responsibility for investing in your people. And there's always a way. There's always a way. Uh, we, it's funny, we, uh, my wife, Karen Neal, she runs uh, on LinkedIn, uh, a LinkedIn live show called Asking for a Friend, where we have, you know, asking uh, leadership questions and then asked by different, answered by different experts in real time and so forth. And uh, there are organizations now who are having people tune into the show as part of their internal leadership development strategy. Oh, I love that. It's free, right? Yeah. It's an investment of time. And then they're chatting in questions and they're getting answers from yeah. you know these people. They couldn't bring these people into sometimes to their company, yeah. but there's access. It's an amazing world we live in. And so yeah. there's always a way to be investing in your people. Brings us to the third one. All right, give us that third point again, then I want to unpack sure. this a little bit. Sure, yeah, no, so it's it's the uh, building a culture around feedback, right? So specifically, you know, focusing on that opportunity and then waterfalling that down through the organization. All right, so this is so important and readers of Courageous Cultures, longtime listeners of the show, they know why I'm dialing in on this because this is such an important topic. So when we talk about creating a culture of feedback and from you as a leader, and you, you gave us one example for yourself that, hey, after a sales meeting, I want to get feedback, give me the tough stuff, give me the things yeah. I can I can use to actually improve. And I just want to hit that and emphasize it because as a leader, when you make that, when you normalize that behavior, when you lead the way with that, it makes it safer for everybody else to take their turn because gosh, if Neil can do it, well, then that's the expectation. Certainly I can do it. There's nothing to be scared of here. I'm curious if you have any other practices um, from your leadership playbook that that you have found to be helpful in cultivating that kind of a culture of feedback at every level in an organization. Yeah, I mean, that's outside of kind of what I just shared there. I mean, I feel like that's, it's not so much maybe a different tactic as it is consistency, right? And I think that's the thing that um, you have to kind of ingrain, it becomes who you are, right? Like, and yeah. that's almost kind of a mentality shift you personally need to make, right? Which yeah. is, it's okay to be vulnerable, right? Like you don't have to, like, I don't know how to ask the express. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You just need to be one that is curious and that is always willing to learn, right? If you can set that leadership example for your team, they're gonna do the same thing, right? And now you have an organization that from the top down believes in curiosity, believes in development, believes in feedback and, and creates a safe space for that development, right? Like. We don't have to knock it out of the park every single time, right? As long as we're learning, right? And this is something I always talk about with my team too, is build that growth mindset, right? Like, and a growth mindset just isn't, you know, it, it isn't just how fast can we grow, right? Like how much more <laughs> revenue can we get? How many more customers can we get? A growth mindset is more of a personal growth mindset, right? Like, are you taking on a project? Are you taking on an opportunity that maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable with? 
And you might not get it right, but you're going to learn something. And those calluses that you develop over time are going to make you that much stronger and that much more adaptable when we really do have a challenge coming up, right? Now, now you've built a skill set in something that we can leverage and you've built confidence in the unknown, right? Like all of this is helpful, but it starts first with building that mentality of get feedback, right? Feedback, building a culture of feedback is such an important thing. All right. We're talking with Neil Kahn, the president and CEO of the National Society of Leadership and Success. And we've been talking about human-centered leadership, uh, feedback about uh, mistakes and what to do positively to when you're growing and scaling and the important work that NSLS is doing and helping develop, uh, particularly in our, our Gen Z population, uh, the ability for more influence, impact, and to leverage all of the advantages that they have already coming in in the information age the way they do. So this is where we've been talking... Uh, Neil, I got another question for you on this subject of feedback, but before we do, let's uh, just pause and where can people connect with you, find out more about NSLS? Uh, let's, uh, and we'll get these in the show notes, but tell us sure. where to go to, to connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go ahead and find our website. It's uh, www.nsls.org. Um, so you can find us there. That's where all of our programs are listed. Um, we are about to uh, roll out, well, it's actually in the next month, we're going to be rolling out some programs for companies as well. Um, so because of the number of members, a number of our members are now employees at companies, they've been asking us for programs related to leadership. And so we're going to be rolling those programs out over the next uh, month or two, but you can find out more information there. Um, I'm available on Twitter. You can always find me there. It's uh, um, uh, at Neil Count, so N-E-I-L. K-H-A-U-N-D. And you can go ahead and always feel free to interact with me there. Fantastic. Well, I encourage you to do that. If you haven't uh, got the impression already, Neil is a fantastic person, human-centered leader to interact with. All right. So let's let's dive. I want to go a level deeper on this notion of feedback culture and, and get fairly practical here because I know that we have many listeners who say, yes, Neil, I get you. I hear you. I want to create a more curious a uh, more feedback-rich uh, team, business, uh, organization at every level. And sometimes when I ask for feedback, it's really hard. I get some some wacky stuff that I don't think is on point or that you know they just don't understand or they're just wrong, in my opinion. How do I encourage feedback without letting that stuff drag me down because it can have a tendency to do that, any specific approaches, suggestions, ways to respond in this realm of what do I do with the feedback that is just really hard or isn't making sense to me? Yeah, I mean, getting feedback is not easy, right? I mean, and especially the first time you do it, I think we all kind of, it's it's human nature to just kind of not, to not approach the, the challenging situation. Um, but the first time you do it, it'll be hard and then it'll continue to get easier over time, right? But I think the bigger aspect of it is that if you try to get feedback alongside with this kind of confirmation bias, which is what, what a lot of people do, right? Is like, you know, you're expecting to get good feedback. And I think you have to really push your team and you have to push whoever's giving you that feedback. Give, don't give me the good stuff. Tell me the stuff I can work on, right? Um, and so if you really go into it with that, type of an approach of like, listen, this is an opportunity just to focus on development. You know, that's really, I think, where that opportunity is. And, you know, kind of the way I equate it to, I, you know, and this is such a, I, I don't want to go down this, this path completely, but 
like for example, like the big thing right now that a lot of companies are focusing on is net promoter score. Are you kind of familiar with this concept, oh, yeah. right? So like net promoter score, zero to 10, you know, how likely are you refer to, to refer us to a, a friend or a colleague, right? So this is, and, and a lot of companies are so hung up on the score, right? Like the actual score. And what they're not realizing is that the score doesn't matter, right? It's a system. It's a net promoter system. All it's doing is giving you feedback on what you can do to get better. Who cares what the score is? What you care about is that actual feedback that you're getting and are you utilizing the system? Try to take that internally for yourself. Feedback isn't the end game, right? It's not the final point. It's just the step, right? It's just the step that you learn from and you continue to improve, right? You're gonna get feedback for the rest of your life. Try to really look at that as an approach in terms of personal development. I love that. Yeah, uh, you, You're bringing so many things to mind. We have a, a chapter in uh, Winning Well, you know, play the game, not the score. Mm -hmm. And exactly that. And I think even talking about NPS, uh, net promoter scores is that yeah. it's just an indicator. So what are the fundamentals? Play the game, yeah. get, you know, get those things down and then use the the, the information that you're receiving to, to entertain getting better. Okay, so we're going to be open, we're going to be curious uh and and recognize it's not an end game it's not a, a final thing it's just it's data it's information that we can then use to to improve and, and be better another question that i get asked frequently i want to pose mm -hmm. to you on this one neil is okay so i've i've i'm i'm i've gotten curious i'm doing well i'm getting feedback and so i'll ask the team is you did hey give me your feedback about how i might improve that particular sales interaction or um, this process or this initiative or what have you. And you got 17 members and three of them say, wow, we need more of this. And four of them say, we need less of that. <laughs> and you know, it, it gets contradictory. And this is another question, not to be too simplistic about it, but as a leader, how do you handle those kinds of where you're getting contradictory feedback and you're really wanting people to feel heard, but at the end of the day, you have to make a decision. How do you address those kinds of situations? So I want to make sure I understand this, right? So if you're in a group setting and some people are on the same page, some people are not, how do we kind of move forward as a group? Yeah, as a leader, you're saying, uh, hey, I'd like your feedback about what I can do better here. And you get conflicting answers. You can't do both. There, you know, some people say I want less of that. Other people say I want more of that. Yeah. Or, you know, that's those are their perspectives at any rate. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. I mean, what I would say overall with something like that is, as a leader, um, you still need to kind of set the course, right? And so um, I think it's good to get that. You always want to get the feedback. You want to consider everyone's opinions. Everyone has to be heard. And I think above all, whatever the direction is and whatever ultimate step that you end up taking, I think that's not as important as it is making sure that everyone felt heard. So as a leader, how you kind of make that decision, ultimately that's going to be up to you and that's ultimately up to the situation, right? But what's more important in that specific setting is making sure that everyone had that opportunity to voice their opinion, they felt heard, and then that's that you're building the culture anyway, regardless of the where the decision ended up going. Absolutely. So if I can push you just a little farther here, because this yeah. is rich, this is good stuff, uh, and you're you're you know as a CEO president, you're living this and dealing with this mm -hmm. this reality. So this is helpful for folks. Feeling heard. Any specific, and this is going to be, I think, the last practical point we're able to give our listeners on, on this show, Neil, is if the goal here is to help people's voice be expressed and to be heard, yeah. recognize that you're going to have to make a decision. That's your job. Any particular 
approaches, advice, suggestions, ways of ensuring that as a leader, that people are heard, that they're feeling heard, not just asking their opinion, but there's more to it, I imagine, from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to guys, just kind of making sure your team is, is feeling heard, there's not any one specific solution I would have other than are you making that time for your team, right? Like, are you actually baking that time on a regular basis to not just, see, I think what happens with a lot of leaders, right? And so, for example, I would say most companies do some form of like Rockefeller habits, for example, right? And so, you know, you're doing quarterly plans, you're doing metrics, you're doing tracking, all of this stuff. Um, and so what ends up happening as leaders is that we get so focused on executing kind of the daily business that we don't really take the time to take a step back and listen to our team, right? Like, are we taking that time on a biweekly or weekly basis to actually sit there and make sure that our team members have that opportunity to voice their concerns or voice their, you know, whatever's on their mind, you've got to kind of create that environment in that space versus always spending the time just kind of tracking, you know, are we tracking towards our quarterly goals or our monthly goals or what have you? So I think as a leader, you got to make sure that you're giving your team that opportunity to voice their opinion first. So just starting with creating the space. And if we're doing that consistently, that's the foundation. That's the start. That's the foundation. That's the start. But you also need to kind of press them too, right? I mean, I think the next step on that is you as a leader need to be able to show them that go ahead, right? Like, I want to hear this from you. It's okay. This is a safe space, right? Like even just saying those words as simple as, uh, as, simple as that, you'd be surprised at kind of the reaction you would get from your team, right? Because I think it's just they're naturally programmed and conditioned to say like, I better say the right thing, right? Like I better focus on saying the right thing versus the honest thing that could actually make that fundamental impact for the business. And if you're not in the habit of doing that, when you first start, it can take a while and it can, you know, it can be a minute before somebody finally, when I say a minute, that may actually be several of these occasions before finally somebody says, well, I'm wondering this. Yeah. And how we respond, I think, is so critical in those moments to respond with gratitude. Thank you. Not to argue, not to say, have you considered, not anything, but just thank you. Yeah. And ultimately letting people know how we're going to use all of the feedback, but just starting with that gratitude so that people can genuinely see we mean it. Yeah. And, and silence is okay, by the way, right? Like it's okay to not have to fill everything with words, right? Like your job early on really needs to be um, 80% listening, 20% talking, right? Like uh, uh, your team has the ability and has the talent to, to probably figure out most problems that you're struggling with, right? It's a, it's a much more constructive way to get them to work on it, right? To get them to stretch and problem solve and get to the, to the end goal that you're looking for anyway. All right. Well, that is a great place to end our conversation on is the power of silence. So we'll, <laughs> we will, I love it. We will wrap up there. Neil, thank you so much. Neil Count, president and CEO of the National Society of Leadership and Success. Thank you so much for being a guest on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, David. All right. Well, you have gotten so many different practical tips from at the organizational CEO level down to the level of listening to your people and everything in between. Encourage you, connect with Neil, take advantage of these opportunities and choose one tool you can use to go listen to your team and be the leader you'd want your boss to be.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.